As you know, God's people have always been a pilgrim people. Well, that's a drop the mic right there. And I, didn't even just, I just got started. This is going to be good. We know that Abraham made his pilgrimage from Ur of the Chaldeans into the land of the Canaanites. We know that Moses led the people of Israel through a 30-year pilgrimage in the wilderness. Even when they settled in the land, God's people made an annual pilgrimage into Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. In the New Testament, Paul made his pilgrimages through his three missionary journeys, as did many of the other disciples. They were a people who were on the move. And now as we study 1 Peter, we see another group of people who are pilgrims. We've learned that they are scattered throughout Asia Minor, residing as strangers and aliens in a foreign land. And as you read this letter, at least I hope that you're getting the sense that this is true for us as well. Much like Peter's audience, we too are living in a land that is not our home. Our time is limited. Our, our struggles are temporary. As Paul has reminded his audience, he is reminding us that our, our hope is fixed completely on the grace to be revealed as we look expectantly for the return of Jesus Christ, knowing that he will lead us to what is our future, eternal, permanent place of residence, our heavenly home. But having said all that, I think this idea of pilgrimage is, is difficult for us to understand in our American culture. Because more often than not, even in our language with each other, we, use, we talk about the importance of settling down, right? Of planting deep roots. We like to be in uh, environments that are familiar. We're more comfortable when we know what to expect. So when, when Peter describes his audience as strangers and, and aliens, it sounds pretty foreign to us. And I think at some level to our detriment because there's something really unhealthy about being too tied to this world, becoming too comfortable in our circumstances, too tied to our possessions. Because, because all of this ultimately takes our eyes off of what is lasting and eternal. So this morning in our passage, Peter is going to attempt to untether us from the things that we grip so tightly to in this world. And he will remind us of the limited time we have to fulfill the primary purpose he's, we've been given. Showing us how a, a God-fearing faith leads us into a God-honoring life. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I do pray that in some miraculous way, that you would untether us from what we cling so tightly to in this world. That, that we would loosen our grip on the things that we can control, the things that make us comfortable. And we would cling more tightly to the assurance of your return, the, the hope of our salvation. And then it would reshape how we live life temporarily in this world that we are residents in only as aliens and strangers, pilgrims who are passing through. 
Help us to see that more clearly this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now you can turn to 1 Peter if you would like. Uh, Before we get started on our passage, I want to make sure we are staying within the context of what we've been learning so far. Because Peter began by describing the, the privileged place that we have in human history. Because like Peter's audience, we live in the closing chapters of God's redemptive story. What Peter will describe in verse 20 as the end of the times. Because where previous generations, those that were prior to us, they, they look forward to the day of the, the coming Messiah. You and I look at the promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He brought the hope of salvation to the world, calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. By faith, we are born again to a living hope. We have an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. We are privileged because we are persistently pursued by the fatherly affection of our God adopted into his family, sanctified by his spirit, forgiven by his son. We are protected by the power of God, even in the midst of our trials. As we've been learning, none of our suffering is wasted. God can take the most wretched evil, like we see being accomplished on the cross, and turn it into the most ultimate good. So just stop for a minute and let that truth sink in. What a privilege to belong to the family of God. What a blessing to be rescued from the domain of darkness and to live in the security of an eternal hope. We are a privileged people. So with that in mind, let's begin reading together in verse 17 of our passage where Peter continues and says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, remember the context. So what Peter's talking about here, when when he's mentioning this idea of an impartial judge, based on the context, we need to make sure that we are viewing this through the lens of a living room not a courtroom, okay? Through faith in Christ, you are members of God's family. He is your father. But our knowledge of him as father does not dispel our fear of him as judge, but but we gotta think of that in terms of a loving family. And I know this may be easier to me than it is for many of you because I grew up in an incredible family. My dad is one of my most trusted friends, and I have no doubt of his deep and sacrificial love for me as his son, which is why I have great confidence in his wisdom and guidance in my life, even though I haven't always taken his advice. But choosing to go my own way has often led me to some of my most regrettable decisions in life. And so as I grew up, I had to grow in my respect and appreciation for my dad's wisdom and insight. And over time, I gained confidence in his guidance 
based on the assurance of his love. I developed a, a healthy fear, not of his punishment. That doesn't describe our relationship. It was a fear of the consequences of not following his advice. That's what Peter is saying here. We've come to know God as a loving father. We have confidence in his guidance because of the assurance of his love and his desire for our highest good. But we know that he's given us the freedom to choose, to make our own decisions, just like my dad has given me. Our fear is not based on punishment because we have the assurance that all the punishment that we deserve was placed upon Jesus Christ at the cross. Instead, we fear the consequences of forsaking his commandments. We fear the consequences of, of looking past the wisdom and guidance that we see in his word. It is his goodness that is the motivation for our godliness. Don't miss godliness. Listen to how Paul will describe this judgment that Peter is referring to in our passage this morning. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, and it says this. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. This is the judgment. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If each man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But here it is. He himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. Since Jesus Christ took the judgment for our sin... As a believer in Christ, when we approach God the Father, this is not a judgment of us. That's taken care of at the cross. This is a judgment of our works, our, our stewardship. Anything without eternal value goes away. But everything that is done according to God's will receives a reward. Knowing this is true, should motivate us to, to trust in our heavenly Father, to follow his commands and to avoid foolish behavior because we understand the consequences of going our own way and we see the reward of walking in God's will, both now and for eternity. Look at how it continues in verse 18 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, our obedience should be motivated by our trust in God's goodness, along with the gratitude for Christ's sacrifice. Peter says that we've been redeemed from our feudal way of life, inherited from our forefathers. That word feudal here means fruitless or without purpose. At least the picture that comes to me is the idea of an apple tree that doesn't bear apples. Okay? It exists for itself and does nothing to, to benefit others which in my mind is a great description of who we were apart from Christ. We existed for ourselves. Ephesians 2, 3 says, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. 
In other words, we were ruled by selfish desires and prideful independence. The idea that I don't need God. Religion is just a crutch. I'm doing just fine on my own. But thankfully, for those who trust in Christ, we have been redeemed from this futile, fruitless way of life. But only because a ransom was paid in order to set us free from the power of sin and death. But not with perishable things like silver and gold. Jesus didn't give something apart from himself. He gave himself. He shed his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He is the unblemished lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. As Paul reminds us when he writes to the Corinthians, he's the one who knew no sin, who became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And knowing the magnitude of Christ's sacrifice for us should move us towards a heartfelt devotion to him. But oh, how quickly we forget. This last week in Regen, Joe Magmy did just an amazing job, did super, brother, uh, talking about this idea of repentance. And he used a passage of in Exodus that pointed to an event that occurred really just weeks after the parting of the Red Sea as God's people had been delivered from slavery from Egypt. So they, these guys were eyewitnesses to the power of God's redemptive work. But it didn't take them long before they forgot. And they began to complain. It says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. As Joe pointed out so rightly, he says it's easy for us, like the Israelites, to forget the trauma of being ruled by a tyrant. To remember the past as having been a whole lot better than it really was. And we're tempted to go back to Egypt because we just don't like the difficulty of life in the wilderness. See, you and I, very often, don't want to wait for the promised land. We want to see heaven on earth right now. But Peter's reminding us, look, this is not our home. We are just passing through, and please don't forget the price that was paid to set you free. The wilderness will not last forever, but the hope of heaven is eternal. Our time on this place is, is limited. Our suffering is temporary. We are just pilgrims passing through. As Paul reminds us in Philippians, for our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. From also, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the blood of Jesus didn't just open the door to eternal life. It broke our bondage to our deadly past. We have been set free from our futile way of life so that we can live in the freedom of sons and daughters of the one true king. We have a heavenly father who's leading us through the wilderness of this world 
We are guided by his goodness so that we can trust in his commands. We have witnessed the power of his redemption. We are a privileged people because we have been rescued by the power of his precious blood. Amen? Look at how he continues in verse 20. For he, speaking of Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, I don't know if you notice or not, but as you read this passage and you get here to verse 20, it gets really personal really quick. Because I think Peter probably realizes how easy it is for us to to distance ourselves from the precious blood of Christ, the work that he has done. We've heard this story, right? It, It can become too familiar. And like the Israelites, we can be forgetful. Or or we may actually believe that it's good news for other people, but not just meant for me. And that's not true because Peter says in this passage this morning that God did all of this with you in mind. You individually. Fill your name in here. You can write it in the book. When it says you, I would encourage you, write your name right there. In these last times, he appeared for the sake of Todd of Tanner, of Troy, of Stephanie. He appeared for the sake of you. You see, God's plan of redemption took place from before the world began, before there was ever a single blade of grass, before there was ever a a star in the sky, before there were ever any fish in the sea. God looked into the distant future and he saw you. He saw your slavery to sin. He saw your eternal separation from him. And he knew that apart from him, there was nothing that could be done to change your story. So that's when he put the plan of redemption in place. A plan that centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The one who came to rescue us from sin's curse. Because through his death. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. We know he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that we deserved was placed on him. He took the penalty for our sin and by his resurrection, he overcame the power of the grave so that as many believe in him, to him, to them they become the children of God. So whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. He wrote a new story for you, one that brings reconciliation instead of eternal separation. In these last days, Jesus Christ was revealed for you. Let that be personal. See, Peter's trying to draw all of this together so that we can see how a God-fearing faith leads us into a God-honoring life, but I'm convinced that it just doesn't register until we learn to loosen our grip on this world. We have to live by something that goes beyond the limits of our everyday life. 
because Peter's trying to help us see that we are just pilgrims who are passing through. I don't know if you caught it or not, but in verse 17, he says, during our stay on earth. It sounds like a reservation at a hotel, right? But he's trying to make the point is you're not here for long. This is temporary. The SV, if you have that translation, actually says, throughout the time of your exile. Both of the translations are trying to help us see and understand that our time on earth is temporary. And so it's important to make the most of our time. That's the major point that Peter is trying to impress upon us. We are living in the final chapters of God's redemptive story. I mentioned last night, my good friend, or last week, my good friend Mike Lovinger, who passed away. One of my favorite things that we would do together, he'd show up in my office, he'd bring a book, or he'd bring something that he'd read, and we'd sit down and talk about biblical prophecy. It was one of our favorite conversations. We like to see what was happening around in the world and how it relates to what God says was going to occur. And one of our favorites that we like to listen to was a man by the name of Joel Rosenberg. He's a Jewish believer. He has some really helpful insight into biblical, biblical prophecy. In 2006, I think, he wrote what I believe was his first nonfiction. He usually writes fiction stories, but he wrote his first nonfiction book called The Epicenter. And it was a book, so now written almost 20 years ago, that laid out what he considered to be 10 possible headlines that could show up in the news someday based on what happens in biblical prophecy and how it would relate to worldwide events. So one of the things that he said, one of the headlines read like this, new war erupts in Middle East as earthquakes, pandemics hit Europe, Africa, and beyond. Now, Joel is not a prophet. He doesn't claim to be. He's just a Christian who's reading God's word who tells us what's going to be coming. Okay? Things like this. Listen to this in Luke chapter 21, verse 10. Jesus speaking says, See to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he continued, and I believe here, describing things much closer to his promised return. He says, in that case, nations will rise against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues and famines. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. These are things that Jesus is describing, things that will happen before his promised return. The Bible calls them birth pangs. So think of a pregnant woman going into labor. It's something that absolutely should get your attention. And I want you to realize some things that are happening right now in our lifetime. Russia, as everybody knows, just launched the largest land war in Europe since World War II. We suffered a worldwide pandemic just three years ago. The earthquake, earthquake in Turkey in recent weeks is the largest in almost 100 years. In fact, 
19 of the 20 largest earthquakes in human history have taken place since 1900. I've been reading a book in preparation for our trip to Israel on Israel's really modern history. And I'm fascinated with the amount of immigration that has occurred as people, the Jewish community, moves into the Holy Land. In over 3,000 years, they are the only people group who live in the same place, speaking the same language, practicing the same religion. And today, almost 50% of the entire Jewish community of the world is in Israel, all happening within the last 75 years. I don't know about you, but I think God is clearly up to something and that there are significant things happening in the world around us today. And it's not a reason for us to panic. This is not a scare tactic for you to get your life together. This is the authoritative word of God telling us exactly what's going to take place. And we would be wise to listen. We need to be living. Hey, don't miss this. We need to be living as if all of this is possible within our lifetime. We need to loosen our grip on this world and fix our eyes completely on the promised return of Jesus Christ that you and I could very well see with our own eyes. We are pilgrims who are passing through because this is not our home. Our time is limited. Our suffering is temporary. But our eternal home will last forever. So may we live every day with the end in mind, allowing God to help us Understand how a God-fearing faith leads to a God-honoring life. Amen? So what we're going to do, I'm going to pray, and Brian's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in some music this morning. But I want you to just stay seated. And I want you to just use the time meditatively, reflectively, as you listen to the words of this song. You can sing along if you wish, but allow it to speak to your heart. Let it remind you of the truth, and let it motivate you to live good and godly lives. Let me pray. Father, um, I'm grateful that you recognize that we are forgetful people. And so you consistently remind us. Lord, I'm also convinced that you gave us your word to help us see clearly what you were doing in the world as you prepare for your return. And I think we can be certain with absolute authority from your word, that we are living in the final chapters of your redemptive story. So Lord, I pray that we would allow that reality to motivate us to love and good works and that we would see that motivation coming from a desire to do what we know a good and, and heavenly Father who has our highest good in mind intends. That we would put aside foolish behavior, and we would walk faithfully in your will according to your word, to the praise and glory of your name for the limited time that we have in this place. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, he's looking for my dad. He's watching. So, Dad, I love you. And I'm really grateful for the example that I have as a father who truly desires my highest good. 
My hope for each and us, each of us this morning is that we can look to our Heavenly Father with the exact same affection. We can say, I love you, because we know of his affection for us and his desire for our highest good. And because we know that, that we would have a great assurance of following his commandments, not out of obligation and not out of fear, because there's no reason to fear if there's no punishment in store. The only thing that I fear is myself of going my own way instead of trusting in him. And so my hope is that all of us can take the words that we heard this morning and and stir our hearts of affection towards our Father, look expectantly for our Savior's return, and live faithfully in this world for the time that we are here during our stay on earth. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder of your precious blood that was spilled on our behalf. You changed our story, and you had that plan in mind before the world began, and you did it for each of us individually. Jesus Christ was revealed for you, for me. So, Lord, may we take that very personally and take it to heart this morning as we leave this morning and go about our days. May we not become forgetful, but be reminded of that affection that you have for us so that it would stir our hearts of devotion towards you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.